Welcome everybody to OnChain Alpha. This is a weekly podcast where we explore the world of on-chain data. We unpack valuable insights, novel applications of on-chain data together with the people who are building the most innovative data infrastructure, analytics platforms, and writing your favorite threads and articles. Please make sure to sign up to our newsletter. It's going to be linked in the description below. OnChain Alpha is made possible through the generous support of projects like Mosaic, the loyalty rewards protocol for on-chain brands and their fans, the Optimism Collective, scaling Ethereum's present to provide funding for its future, and Bankless DAO, a decentralized community on a mission to help the world go bankless. Today, we're talking to Umar, data researcher and analyst at Gitcoin. Some of the topics of conversation today are going to be, what are public goods? What is region data? Why is it important that we build with public goods data? And then, of course, touching on Gitcoin data for quadratic funding, symbols, and impact. Umar, how are you doing? Hey, man. Doing good. Happy to be here. Thrilled to have you. Thank you Thrilled for having to have me. You. Yeah, yeah, man. We've been talking for a minute now. So this just feels like just another call. For real. Um, I feel like we started talking back with the Citizens Round. And you are the, you are the data dude who really started like hopping into these Twitter spaces you were having on the Citizens Round and hosting your own and just creating a great vibe and a great community around it. I mean, like, you um, just uh, really listening deeply to people and also just, like, uh, creating a, a space for people to talk about it, which was so cool. And then continuing to talk since then with all of your uh, cool work around Mosaic and the stuff that you're building out there, that's really uh, exciting. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, if there's anything um, that can be said about me is that I definitely like to make space for people to be able to share what they're doing, you know, build their rep. Um, at least with Crypto Sapiens, that's what I've been doing for almost three years, if not over three years. Gosh, just time, time flies by. So I'm just grateful to be able to talk to people like you um, and really just elevate the conversation because, you know, some of it can be a little degenerative. But we're talking <laughs> about region today, which Yay. to me, that's like a huge thing. And obviously, Gitcoin is a pioneer, I think, in the space of like just regenerative crypto economics region data, which we're definitely going to touch on a lot today. So why don't you just give us a, an intro to you and how you got into crypto and when and how you joined Gitcoin too? So I got into crypto, I think about two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I was onboarded really through hackathons because I saw this cool crypto thing. I was like, I want to learn more about this. But I don't want to just learn about it in the abstract. I want to learn by doing. So there's this ETH Global Hackathon that was focused, especially at the time, on public goods. Um, and I aped in, you know, got together with little hackathon team. Um, and I remember just like listening to some of the speakers at this event and being so like blown away by what they were trying to do. And just like trying to create public goods in crypto that people could benefit from and not just using it to, you know, make profit, although obviously that's always good too, um, but, but using it to like give people something. And I got really interested in how you could use crypto for like journalism or science. Like, could you use it to make it easier for people to share information? And especially in countries where, you know, uh, sharing particular information could get you in trouble could crypto provide this like censorship resistance, private uh, communication method for people to just share that information publicly or broadly? Obviously, this is in the in you know my introduction to crypto, so I did not know much about the technical workings of it and how you actually do these things. But that was kind of what excited me. And when I was like poking around, talking about like, hey, could we do something where journalists could get like their their uh, news on to uh, crypto protocols in a private censorship resistant way? I ran into this group who was doing something for um, letting scientists share what they were doing. And in particular, creating a, a system where you could like, you know, basically do research and get funded for it without being in traditional academia. And that was really cool. We got together, we started working on this project killed it at the hackathon. I was like, I was like, damn, I got really lucky. I ran into amazing people. We crushed this project. Um, and we, you know, we, we 
pretty much won uh, a couple of prizes at the hackathon. And we were all so excited. We were like, let's keep building this. Let's keep going. And I think that's the energy that brought us to Gitcoin because we were like, look, we can't get by on vibes alone. Uh, we need funding. And so we came to Gitcoin and we tried to raise funding. But to be honest, in our first round, we raised like $300. And I was like, I can't survive on $300, right? Um, so I was, you know, also just like hanging around Gitcoin a lot at the time and, you know, coming into Twitter spaces, coming to some Discord calls, just talking to people. And one of the people at Gitcoin at the time, Fred, he was like, hey, Umar, you're around a lot. You're really great. We should do some work together. And I was like, I'm down. What would I do? And he said, well, actually, I've been writing the newsletter for a while and I would love if someone would take it over. So that was how I got started at Gitcoin. I was just writing the newsletter and I put it out weekly. I would read everything on the governance forum and summarize it. Um, those, those were the days, uh, you know. Um, I remember reading so many Awaki gov posts. Kevin Awaki, our founder, is also just like a legendary writer. And he was constantly putting out these thought pieces on the forum. And so I was just like reading them every week and summarizing them. And I have to be honest, 80% of the content I had to summarize were his, <laughs> were his, were his posts on the Gov Forum. Um, uh, but, but that was exciting. And, you know, since I started working at Gitcoin, that was an income for me. Um, and uh, gradually, you know, the Hackathon Project didn't really go anywhere. It fizzled out, as, as they often do. And while working at Gitcoin, I saw that we had a ton of data that no one was doing anything with. So that sort of brought me into the data side of things, because before Gitcoin, I was a data analyst, I was a machine learning engineer, I was building computer vision models, and I had the skill set to pick up some of the data work here. So eventually that became my full-time role. Uh, that's what I do now at Gitcoin is a lot of data stuff. And uh, I was uh, lucky enough to find someone who I could pass the newsletter off to, who's done a great job with it, uh, Rohit, um, who then passed it off to, to someone else as well. So that was kind of it, man. That was that was my my hackathon to regen pipeline. Ah, oh, man, that that's awesome. You know, I one of the reasons why I love doing this is I feel like I get so much more alpha into like people and what they do, where they come from, and like just really just get a good sense of their vibe. Um, I feel like I said I think we've talked several times now already, and I didn't really know about like your machine learning background. I didn't know that you were running the newsletter. So yeah, I, you know, I, th I think I mentioned it off camera, but you know, for me, one of the things that CryptoSapiens stands for is to learn about the humanity of the people that are building the space. Because sometimes it's really hard to get lost in just pure, you know, technical complexities. Yeah. Right. Techno battle. Yeah. 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 So you talked about um, kind of the the the, the funnel. Uh, you know, which is the Dow funnel, you know, in terms of how people can get involved. And I, you know, for me, that's definitely one of the things that resonated so much um, a couple of years ago when DAOs were like the hyped thing in Web3 was anybody can get involved, um, find something that's interesting to you, just start contributing to it. Uh, sure, you might not get paid you know, a fair wage, but it's really just something that is supposed to be fun. And then hopefully we can find constructs, financial constructs that allow us to reward people more fairly, um, which then brings us to like Gitcoin and kind of like how you uh, came to Gitcoin grants or to Gitcoin to participate in their grants. Can you talk a little bit more, but you don't have to get so deep into it because this is definitely not a Gitcoin grants podcast. But, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen uh, kind of the grants do really well? And then maybe you can correlate that with some of the data that is coming through and how that data is helping to improve uh, Gitcoin grants in the future. I, I do just, I can't resist because you brought this up in the, in the beginning part about like DAOs and like how it was, you know, so easy to get involved and start contributing and making money. And, you know... I, I feel like it was a lot easier two years ago to do that, like because of the bull market. And now we're in the bear and all of these, um, you know, treasuries are suddenly feeling tight. You know, there's like layoffs everywhere. And I'm a little worried about the future of DAOs. Like, I don't know, like, 
if 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 it takes just a little bit of pressure for us to start uh, walk, you know, start retreating from some of those ideals, then um, it's not really, you know, it's not really that that Dow like. But maybe we could come back to some of that and and make it easier again for people to get onboarded, um, and ideally create you know ways to for people to get onboarded that never go away, that are always there. Um, and uh, I would definitely love to pick your brain on what you think about DAOs and just like where you think they're going, and especially maybe sometime on or or now if you if you're open yeah. to it, about like yeah, definitely let's go. Yeah, you know, I was actually going to ask you since you, I mean, since you're digging into this, and this is absolutely fine. Do you think it's DAO ops um, that's causing some of the? I don't want to call it issues because that's too big a word, but some of the maybe receding of excitement behind DAOs, or do you think it's pure tokenomics and just token values because what people used to be able to get paid in tokens are kind of almost worthless at this point uh, because the the market really affected, I think, a lot of these uh, DAO treasuries. Um, or is it something else, like something that I, that we're missing that we're, we haven't really figured out very well yet? Mm. I feel like it's all of the above, like... You know, <laughs> it's like the, it's it's the treasury and it's the ops. I mean, like DAOs, no one really knows, I think, yet how to create super well-working DAOs, especially the the hard part, I guess. With um, I forget where I saw this, but someone made a triangle of like decision making. And it's like on one end, you have speed. On another end, you have quality. And on another point, you have uh, decentralization or, or the number of people involved. And, you know, it's like, it's like that classic thing of like pick two out of three, but it's also like if you want faster decisions, then you will probably have to sacrifice um, how many people are involved. If you want, you know, higher quality decisions, then you'll have to sacrifice speed. If you want more people involved, you know, you'll have to sacrifice maybe, uh, you know, speed and um, and some of those. So it's kind of like where are we optimizing for? And it feels like um, when treasuries are tight, Lots of people default to optimizing for speed um, because we got a burn rate and we got to, you know, make decisions quick. Um, but, but I don't know, man. And and then there's also maybe this part of like everyone wants to have a steady, consistent salary, and like in DAOs, it it can be kind of competitive. It's like, well, if this guy's coming up, is he going to take my job? And I think we also have to wrestle with that sort of like emotional psychological security. Um, but but part of it might be switching to an abundance mindset of actually there's there's plenty of work to do. And as long as good, valuable work is getting done, it should all get funded. And I think DAOs and, and crypto in general might be a place where, you know, if we can do that abundance mindset anywhere, it's here where the there's so much there's so much money compared to the number of people. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I just kind of wanted to touch on something you said there, and that is kind of that competitive mindset uh, where people might feel like people uh, behind them may um, oust them, may succeed uh, in, in ways that they couldn't, and so they will be replaced. You know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot, um, especially in Bankless DAO, because for me, I'm a Season Zero member there, so I was there early, you know, it's funny because I'm probably the oddity that didn't come to Bankless DAO by way of the airdrop because I had never actually read the Bankless newsletter. So a bit of alpha there. Wow. Um, I actually came by way of Clubhouse because I, at that time, was hosting a club on Clubhouse and I invited uh, some of the kind of origin instigators uh, of Bankless DAO to the club to talk about DAOs because I was I was convinced that that was the future of work. I was convinced that that is kind of what was going to take Web3 to the masses, right? Because everyone works. That, that just feels like there's a, there's a clear parallel there, um, but it's just a matter of narratives. And so I came in and, 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 and I joined Bankless DAO early and I have been kind of, if not actively contributing, a fly on the wall, listening, still coming into the community calls uh, almost on a weekly basis. And one thing that I talk about regularly is leadership, you know, and uh, B 
being able to nurture, uh, foster tomorrow's leaders at DAOs. I think one of the things that I've not seen done very well uh, is creating systems for uh, developing leaders in a DAO so that we don't have to depend on the same five people to do everything because that tends to be what happens in DAOs. And those people burn out. And when they leave, several things happen. One of them is, of course, a lot of things break because these people were what were holding up these decentralized organizations, right? But the other thing is um, the morale also drops because suddenly they feel like, well, if this person left, then there's probably no value in this organization or in our mission that we were working on together. I've seen it happen several times. And so I feel like one of the things we need to do better is foster leadership um, in DAOs. Uh, and, and I think that's just one of many things that we can improve on. Absolutely. Uh, how do you think we could get there? How how do you train young leaders in the DAO? You know, it's it's go. I think it partly goes back to what you said, where it's kind of like this permissionless work where anybody can come in. Uh, there are incentives in place to be able to reward people for the work that they do. Um, just continuing a little bit more of that, but maybe in a bit more. Um, in a, in a more systemized way where there are systems in place to ensure that uh, anybody coming in through the top of the funnel, which by the way is super easy. You just got to put something on, you know, your social media, drive yeah. a little hype and people will go in. Right. And especially if there's no token attached, that there's a way to earn your way in, you can definitely drive a lot of attention to your organization, a lot of people to come through, but if there are no good systems to onboard these people, and I've seen a few people do it right through, you know, weekly onboarding sessions, through, um, you know, um, you know where, the, where there's these individuals in an organization that help guide young members to find their way, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why for the word is, is not coming to my mind, uh, what these individuals would be or what they're um, called. At one time, we called it people ops. I don't know if you still call it that. Uh, I think it's I think it's a little bit more human than that. I think people ops <laughs> is such a robotic word. I don't like it. Yeah, um, really it, it's at the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of the name of the of the, of the people. But anyways, yeah. they're 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 guiding these individuals to to find their way, right? Because it's also can be very confusing. Discord is not the way. You just right. have all these channels, and you're like, where do I go? Where do I start? Where do I find value? Where do I create value? Right? To borrow words from. Um, Awaki, <laughs> um, who has done a fantastic job of talking about like how we can reward people who create value and then rewarding them, right? And I think RPGF is a perfect example of how you can do that. Retroactive rewards, uh, where anytime that you create value, there are funds in place to be able to fairly uh, remunerate you, right? And I, I'm definitely, a ben I've benefited from those systems. And so I think we need to do more of that. And one of just, you know, not to keep talking about Kevin Owaki, because this is not the Kevin Owaki show either, <laughs> but he recently launched uh, Easy Retro PGF, I think it's called, which yeah. is like anybody can like set up their RPGFs, which I definitely think Crypto Sapiens wants to uh, implement. And I know Mosaic through the systems that we're building is kind of implementing some of that same uh, thought process into what we're building. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Easy Retro PGF has been such a cool experiment because I think this, I think Kevin spun it out of helping uh, or, or creating one of the user interfaces that batch folders used in RPGF3. And then, you know, taking that sort of Bitcoin mindset of how do you let anyone do it and make it easy for them to do their own route. Um, I'm excited to see what kind of experiments come out of this. I feel like a hard question um, in that conversation is, how do you decide who your batch holders are? But that's also like a fun conversation where it's like, well, there's so many different ways we could do it. We could let in people who, you know, for some communities, it might be like, are you, uh, do you hold our NFT? For some communities, it might be like, do you hold at least X amount of our token? Or have you been a member for a Y amount of time or, or, or something like that? Like, or it could also be like, you know, um, these people have a position within an organization, they get 10 badges, they go out and they give it to people. Um, and, you know, maybe you bootstrap a web of trust or whatever it is. But that's a, 
that seems like a fun thing to do for a community to decide who are your decision makers. I mean, that's that's a hard part, isn't it? The whole governance thing, I think, is what is part of what's broken in DAOs. Um, it is maybe sometimes a little too inflexible, mm. um, sometimes a little too informal. <laughs> you know, I, so it's, I think it's a matter of finding a balance, uh, but also not being so strict with it because communities change, uh, markets change. And so I think it needs to have some uh, level of flexibility uh, to allow it to be dynamic when it needs to be, um, you know, but to be a little bit, but to, 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 again, it's all about systems, right? I mean, I think that that's just what it comes down to it is setting up systems in order to be able to say like, look, this is just the way that it's going to operate. There are systems in place for us to like be flexible to it when, when the time comes to it. Uh, One personally, one of the things that I've, that I've been very happy to see mature and, and, and get some level of adoption is joke race. I love gamification of systems too. Like, so allowing some gamification in systems, so not the, not of the systems directly, but that yeah. gamification is part of the system. Um, and this idea of like enabling uh, people within your community to participate in, uh, you know, uh, kind of, electing what is a, uh, uh, you know, kind of who would be a valuable contributor, who should do this or what should we fund, but also introducing a bit of play uh, into it where it's like, well, actually, it's not the first thing that you voted for, though. It's the second outcome that's going to be <laughs> the one that we're going to go with. I think that's really fun. And I think that that just, um, I don't know, it makes it fun. And I think sometimes yeah. governance uh, can't be fun. Right. A lot of times governance is like, writing essays on a governance forum instead of just participating in uh, in, in conversations uh, in, in a cool way. And also, I think like one of the things to Joe Grace's credit that they've done really well is create a great UX. Like it is easy to just get started on Joe Grace. Um, and, and it's cool that they do it that way. Um, plus the branding, the naming. I mean, who doesn't want to participate in a Joe Grace? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Um, and it'll be cool to see what other uh, governance um, mechanisms keep spinning up. I mean, for me, the last couple of days, well, the last couple of days more than most or more than before, but certainly I've been there for over a year and that's Farcaster. I'm loving the experiments that they're running over there. Like the development um, kind of community that is built there over years since Farcaster started through today and the uh, acceleration of those developments in the last couple of weeks is just mind-boggling. Um, and I'm starting to see, maybe within the last week or so, some of these types of um, dynamic governance experiments coming in uh, using the Farcaster Social Graph, uh, which I think is kind of the superpower of decentralized social, right? Yes. Um, so that's really fun, and I'm, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, Forecaster has been by far the hottest project of like the lap of 2024 so far. Um, and, and they have a lot of really cool things going for them. Uh, Humpty, you mentioned the social graph. Um, also, they've had frames come up uh, really recently where just like so many open source developers are jumping in, creating cool things on top of it. Um, I feel like this is part of the superpower of crypto. It's enabling open source software development. It's enabling anyone to come in and build things on top of it. And, you know, Farcaster has done it so well in part because of the way they built their data layer. Like the fact that they're a protocol centric view that lets anyone build a client on top of Farcaster, I think is one of the most bullish things for its future. Like right now I'm using Warpcast. I'm sure you're probably using that client as well. Um, but it, it's so cool that like, you know, Warpcast is very Twitter, but there's someone else who's built a, a Discord version of Farcaster or a Reddit version of Farcaster that you can, um, you know, uh, pick the user interface that you like the most. But then also your identity, your data travels with you regardless of which interface you're on. It's not like, you know, Twitter has its database, Reddit has its database today, Discord has its database, and they're all separated and they're disconnected. But the Farcaster protocol is just sharing it all widely. Uh, I'm so bullish on that. Um, 
curious what what uh, makes you most bullish on Farcaster today, both in like the data perspective and maybe as a user too. I'd say the developer ecosystem. I think you hit it on the head in terms of like these open source experiments. Um, it's I, I I I don't think it's coincidence that. Chris Dixon's book, Read, Write, Own, which I literally finished within 24 hours, which my wife was like surprised because it takes me quite a bit to finish a book, uh, mostly because I'm distracted with work or reading blogs that are relevant to the stuff that I'm building. Uh, so books kind of are on my night table and they're just stacking. And I, you know, I'll read them for like 10 minutes before I go to bed and then I get sleepy. But I, I finished that book really quickly. One, because I think he did a really good job at making the very hard things uh, accessible. Mm. So he didn't really use technical jargon. He, as he said, wrote it for a smart high schooler. Mm. So I think um, that, that that's one of the reasons why I read it fast. But in it, he talks about, you know, I, I, he talks about open source a lot. In fact, I, I, I think I tweeted this, but I know I definitely put this on, I casted this on Farcaster where I said it was as much an, you know, an ode to open source software as it was Web3. Like the way that he talks about open source software in that book, I think is, is enough for you to pick up that book because um, it reminds us of really kind of some of the values that were in place back when Web1 was being developed uh, that were completely forgotten during Web2 where everything became closed source, um, you know, especially when it comes to the data layer, uh, companies like Facebook and Google just consumed that privately, uh, not just monetized it, but built things to, you know, um, you know, facilitate their growth uh, exponentially. And I think Web3 is reminding us that it's these open source systems that allow us to be able to create better playgrounds for us to engage with, um, you know, monetize together and grow. Um, and I think, yeah, Farcasters is, is A, has an open graph. You can access that through their hubs or you can, you know, which you can spin up and become a node in, in the system yourself. Or there's uh, players like Nainar, which I'm going to have on this podcast too. Uh, I'm going to be having Rish, the, one of the co-founders there uh, on the podcast. And we're going to be talking about kind of the importance of opening up these systems for people to build on top of. So for yeah. me, that's what's the most exciting because I, I mean, I wasn't super early to Twitter. I knew of it and I eventually registered, um, I think like 2013 or something like that. But I do remember there was a lot more things you can do on Twitter when the, the API was open to for everybody to play on, right? In fact, things like retweet uh, didn't, wasn't a Twitter invention. That was like a, you know, it was an open source project that eventually was, you know, added to Twitter. And so it's this ability to grow a platform, uh, an ecosystem together that's really exciting. And I think it's it's going to be the future of social uh, as long as we keep supporting it. That, that was one of the really cool eras of Twitter when there were all these devs building on top of it. And now you look at Twitter and it's like the APIs are either super expensive or closed. I mean, like to get like a decent API now, I think Elon's made it like, 5,000 a month. And it's just like, oh my God, that's crazy expensive. Uh, especially for most devs um, who are just like, you know, maybe wanting to experiment with Twitter as a side project. It's like, I'm not going to invest 5,000 know, a month for a side project. Um, but what's so cool, I think, you know, to your, to your point about how like Twitter made all these features by developers who weren't even working at Twitter. And then they, they integrated all of them. Um, with Forecaster, you can have those developers make those features. Um, and then you can, you know, any client could for, for sure, like merge that into their, into their client. But also you can't turn off someone else's client because the, the protocol's there. Like you, it's impossible, I think, for Forecaster to go the same way as Twitter and prevent people from getting access because it's just, it's there. Like the protocol's built um, for anyone to get access to it. Um, you know, it's like that transition from, you know, Google used to have the phrase, don't be evil, and Web3 is can't be evil. Um, and, and hopefully that's like where Forecaster goes to. But then like, 
One thing I think about open source software developers that you know, we worry a lot about at Gitcoin is just the ability for them to get paid for their work. Because not only should you be able to have those fun side projects and stand them up and you know, build your forecaster frame, build your competing client um, with a shared data layer, but you should be able to get funded for that open source software project. And this has been the big problem of open source software throughout time is that it's hard to get paid for it. Why did Web 1 turn into Web 2 where people are monopolizing and like, you know, uh, pushing on advertiser dollars? Because they needed money. <laughs> like, if you're building open source software and it's out there for free and for public and for anyone to use, it's really hard to have a business model. And that's, you know, part of the reason I think a lot of these things went closed source. And even today, a lot of, um, you know, open source software models are dependent on uh, still, you know, on altruism and, and charity and, you know, getting people to um, uh, to donate to them. And what we're trying to do, I hope, I think, at Web3 is make it so that incentives are aligned, that you need to promote and support your dependencies in order for them to keep growing. And not only is it a part of uh, the culture, but it's a part of the mechanisms we're building and, and, and the work we're doing. And, you know, I think I'm bullish on this for Retro PGF, which is, you know, sending a massive amount of money towards open source software projects. I'm bullish on it at Gitcoin because we've been doing this uh, for five years, um, me personally for two. Um, and just like, while there are still a lot of kinks to work out, I think if you look at how easy it is to be an open source software developer and earn your first dollar in Web3 versus in Web2, it's humongous difference. In Web2, it's almost impossible to make any money as an open source software developer unless you're working for an already established project. You can't today start your own project in Web2 for open source software and get funded. But in Web3, it's like really easy to earn that first dollar. You can usually do it um, you know, within a few months at the, at the most. Uh, which I'm bullish about. Yeah, I mean, so we're. I'm glad that we're kind of coming back here because this is kind of where we started, and we're talking about funding for open source software. I mean, if if Gitcoin is known for anything, it's that, right? Um, I recently read the uh, blog post. I think it was Kyle who posted it on the Gitcoin forum, talking about the end game for for Gitcoin entering the end game, and in it he talked about kind of really what. Gitcoin is all about uh, finding product market fit over all those years and really just trying to find um, how or, or trying to see how they can go ahead and like really accelerate towards the things that they do best. And that is grants. And so it sounds like 2024 is going to be focused around grants a lot more than it ever has been. Um, and, I, and I'm really glad to see that because I think that that's really, in my opinion, and I think maybe many people's opinion, this is why that blog post was written, that Gitcoin grants are a valuable part of this ecosystem and its growth. And so I wonder, you know, we talked about RPGF, right? And so that was really, I think that is primarily uh, seen as um, optimism's play and how they provide funding uh, to the masses. Uh, again, Crypto Sapiens and Mosaic being benefiters of that, full disclosure. Um, and of course, to Gitcoin grants too for both projects. So I wonder if you had a crystal ball, how do you think Gitcoin grants is going to evolve over the next year? Yeah, I'm going to have you do that. Uh, and over the next five years, as we see you know, this funding being a little bit more uh, easy to get and definitely being a very important tool of Web3. I think I expect most of the trends that we're seeing now to continue, but to grow and burgeon. Um, and the biggest trend that we've seen over the last year is more communities running their own grants rounds. And that is a, a huge transition. So like, Gitcoin's gone through two phases. You know, we've gone from 1.0 to 2.0. And what that really means is that 1.0, we were a centralized system. You know, we were like kind of web 2.5. We could run quadratic funding rounds, and we did. And we basically did them for other people. We would go out, we would fundraise, you know, we would raise money from Yearn, Optimism, Coinbase, A16Z, and 
we would take that money, put it in a shared pool, and then projects would come, they would get funded on our platform, and they would you know, do crowdfunding in order to earn a bigger and bigger share of the matching pool. And in those days, we were the only ones who could do that. Who could, we were the only ones who could fundraise, run the rounds, we control the software, we ran it ourselves. Now in Gitcoin 2.0, we've gone through this transition where we've created a protocol, and, uh, which is called the Allo protocol. And what it does is it makes it so that anyone can permissionlessly spin up their own quadratic funding round. And then we have our client, Grantstack, which is the user interface on top of this permissionless protocol so that now anyone can come in and you know start their own round and get funded. And we've seen already a lot of communities, not even you know in the past to run a QF round, you had to talk to us. Now it's like, you don't even have to talk to us. You know, maybe you're a techie like me and you're like talking to people is scary and I'd rather just like sit down in front of my computer and like type away, um, preferably with like, you know, a ton of music playing. Um, but now it's like, you just start that. So we've seen uh, right now the, you know, Zuzulu is running their round. They're raising funding for their events, for their tech. Um We've had uh, Polygon running around for infrastructure. And uh, I think what I would hope is that in five years or 10 years, it's super easy for anyone to really just like start raising funds for their community um, and, and ha sharing this QF mechanism on how to, you know, to decide, to let the community decide for itself how to distribute that money. Um, that, that would be what I'd be really excited to see in a few years. Okay, so I wanted to draw parallels here because I think it's only fair, especially as we've been talking a lot about Farcaster. And so for those of you who have been keeping up, Farcaster is to Allo protocol as Warpcast is to Grantstack. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, definitely. I love that. So basically at this point, though, Grantstack is the only client that you can use to be able to create your own rounds, but anybody, because Gitcoin loves open source. So if you don't know, Gitcoin.co, go check it out. They are the open source king, in my opinion, uh, in Web3. Uh, definitely been advocating it for uh, from the beginning. Um, you can potentially uh, fork Gitcoin, uh, the grant stack, excuse me, and create your own client if you wanted to run on top of Allo protocol. Would that be correct? Yeah. Um, I love that. I, I haven't tried it myself, but I think that, I think uh, I think that is true. Um, and you know that's possible because there's a shared shared data layer. Um, yeah. And just as as more and more people access the data, I think they can do more cool things with it. Um, the other thing that's like, you know, I love seeing cool projects doing things because I mean we've been on the track for for the protocol and and the client um, for a while. But, you know, you mentioned Nanar earlier and how Farcaster partners with Nanar. One of the really cool things they do that I love and I saw and now I'm copying um, is that they push data to Dune every day to make it really easy for analysts to access and, and do stuff on Farcaster data. So as one of the data people at Gitcoin, I saw this and I was like, that's a, that's, that's a great idea. And so, you know, we're right now talking to the Dune team about doing something similar with Gitcoin data. And just pushing a ton of it to Dune and making it really easy for any analyst to like jump in and start like playing around with the data and doing what they do best. I love how we're 40 minutes in and now we're going to get into like this really meaty discussion of data because this is really what I geek out about. Okay. I'm not the data dude on X for no reason. <laughs> um, I definitely am a data geek. Look, my background is in information technology. Many moons ago, I uh, operated my own information technology consultancy out of Los Angeles. Um, and so infra, tech, data, like I'm here for it. Um, I just tend to do content pretty good too. So, you know, don't hate. Anyways, um, you know, this whole pipeline that you talked about between like Nanar uh, and Dune, I really want to dive into this because I, do, I also want you to talk about regiondata.xyz, okay? Because we are not getting out of here with like really talking about this important and valuable tool. How, like, is this really like what's going to be pushing some of that data? Or th is this just another front end for some of the experiments you're going to be running with Dune and data as well? 
Yes, uh, great question and hype to dive in. Uh, so region data is uh, basically a cloud instance where we've gathered a ton of really valuable Gitcoin data and made it accessible to anyone. So like you can create an account, but it's a permissionless account creation. Like anyone can go in and create one. Um, and then you can access all this data. So you can see, you know, on Gitcoin, who's given what donations to which projects, um, you know, what are the projects, what is all the data that they have, their GitHub repositories, their Twitter handles, um, how much have they raised, how much have they funded. You can see a lot of data on Gitcoin Passport, uh, which is our civil resistance solution. And um, what we've done is put this all in one database so that it's just really easy for people to get that data. Because one of the hard things about uh, a protocol like Allo or, or any protocol is, you know, you have your on-chain data and then you have your off-chain data and you need to be able to make a connection between the two of them. So a lot of the on-chain data is the donations, the votes with quadratic funding, you know, a crowdfunding campaign plus matching funding. The crowdfunding is all on-chain, the matching funding is on-chain. But what's not on-chain is the meaning of the addresses, the labels. Who is sending money to who? What project is this? You know, if you want to know that we're funding Ethers.js, you have to know that that address belongs to Ethers.js. Um, if you want to know what Ethers.js does, you have to read their project description, which is this long bit of text that we can't store on chain. So that, that gets stored on IPFS. And so what Region Data does is it leverages some of the internal tools we use, like our indexer, to combine that IPFS information with on-chain information and make a database that most of us in Web 2 or Web 3 would be used to seeing. Um, and now with Dune, we'll take this data that we've gathered in region data in, in, a, in a SQL database, and we'll, we'll push it to Dune so that it's also accessible there. Because one of the things we run into is, you know, sometimes people don't like creating accounts, even if it's free and quick. There's a lot of people, a lot of analysts already on Dune. So we just, uh, you know, my, my belief is, is, that, is that if we put it there, it'll just enable more people to do cool analysis. And the other thing that's amazing about Dune is it comes with all of this on-chain data. So now you can take these addresses that we have that are voters or grantees, and you can look at their whole on-chain history, you know, because Dune enables all of that naturally in their SQL interface and database. Um, and so, you know, I'm really bullish to see and, and run my own experiments um, on using this data. Um, there are very cool things we can do in order to detect symbols better. There are very cool things we can do in order to um, just, you know, track project funding. One question people have had for a long time is, you know, in terms of grants, crypto enables transparency. So let's transparently track where the funding goes after it gets set to a project. Um, and maybe it's not that spicy, or maybe it is. Ah, so much alpha. Okay, so obviously the podcast podcast name is On Chain Alpha, and that's literally what we're getting here right now. Um, and I'm loving this idea of like distribution through Dune. And I'm going to do a terrible job at quoting Dan Romero, who is the co-founder over at uh, Farcaster. Um, they're getting way too much uh, free marketing here today. But anyways, um, <laughs> he basically says that he solves for distribution, right? And I think when you talk about all of the work that's gone into building region data, the product, um, and then doing the same on Dune, you're basically doing just that. You're solving for distribution. You know where the customers are, right? The people that are going to be able to utilize this data um, and then can leverage that data to kind of build their own insights, right? Their own dashboards, which is kind of like the superpower of Dune. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that. Um, obviously, over at Mosaic, we're leveraging a lot of that data that we've uh, either called through the APIs or lives on chain or comes from region data. I'm excited to see kind of how we can amplify or accelerate some of the work that we do, or expand some of the work that we do using the data that you share on Dune as well. Because I'll tell you right now, as you know, we're looking for data engineers, and a lot of them ask me, can I do this on Dune? So <laughs> it would be really great to see or point them 
towards those dashboards and saying, yes, you can go to Dune, model some of this data, and let's use that on Mosaic as well. So I'm very excited that on a personal level too. Whoa, that, that's so interesting. I did not expect that. Can I access this on Dune? But it makes yeah. sense to me, actually. Um, that's cool. I recently interviewed someone as uh, recently as yesterday, and um, they basically were talking about Dune and all the things that they could do there because they're primarily uh, versed in SQL. And so for them, that's simple. And I was like, oh, like Dune is is definitely doing things that are obviously making this space uh, a lot more interoperable and, you know, kind of connected, composable um, yeah. because of the data that they surface. Not that it's not available elsewhere, but they're just bringing that all together in one place. Yeah, they make it so easy to get started. I mean, yep. which is just uh, amazing. And I also love that they have the, you know, it's so easy to see someone else's query and then just push the fork button and then, you know, edit it or build on top of it. And I feel like, you know, we've, we've had this running theme throughout our conversation of like open source software, open source development and shared data layers. And, you know, Forecaster and Dune, for all the free marketing they've gotten today, totally deserve it. They totally deserve it. Like they're just doing such an amazing job with how easy they're making it for anyone to build on top of the shared data. Um, and uh, excited to, you know, follow in, in that lead with uh, some of the work we're doing at Gitcoin. Yeah. I mean, so anything else like uh, with region data, you know, anything specific about region data that we, did, we didn't talk about? Because I don't want to uh, miss an opportunity to really, uh, you know, kind of promote the work that you're doing there as well. Yeah. Um, so region data exists to make it really easy for any analyst to get started with Gitcoin data. And the reason for that is because before region data, many analysts in order to get started had to do a lot of data engineering. You know, they had to gather their data sources. They had to clean them. They had to um, process them in order to actually get started. But region data does all that work for them. Thank God for our amazing engineer, Bliss, who built all of these pipelines that takes that data, processes it, and makes it available. And um, the, the other really kind of cool part of it is that in addition to Gitcoin data, we've been adding in data from other sources uh, to sort of overlap. So like, you know, one of the one of the cooler data sources, in my opinion, uh, uh, available in region data is POAP data. So like you have a lot of voters, well, what POAPs do they hold? Because POAPs are a great signal for what communities they're a part of. And uh, as we sort of evolve quadratic funding, we're really interested in what communities are people are part of, because we want to provide greater matching funding to projects that have support for more diverse communities. Um, but overall, you know, region data is something that myself as an analyst, uh, I really needed. And it's been amazing to actually just like have us build it internally and then make it available also to the community to get involved and do their own contributions. Um, and, you know, I'm hyped to see also what happens. Like you can get started on region data today, um, region data.xyz. You know, you can ape in and, and start building things. And um, if that interests you, then you could also potentially join um, this group called Region Learnings.xyz, which is a monthly uh, meetup where we talk about just like what we're learning using region data um, or, you know, other data. Um, but just like the idea of creating a place, a shelling point for people interested in region stuff to learn things together. So, you know, we have people from Optimism, we have people from Gitcoin, we have people from the Ethereum Foundation, um, all sort of like just get together once a month to talk about cool things they want to work on, find collaborators. Uh, it's a really good space to be in. Why am I not there yet? Oh my gosh. I'm sending it to you right now. Please do. Like, <laughs> That seems like a place I should have been at, like at least for six months. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I it just started last month. Literally, oh, okay. last one was like two weeks ago. So okay, okay. So I don't feel too terrible. <laughs> more alpha. <laughs> yeah, more alpha for sure. So you know, it's funny you talked about poaps because for me, the the next question I wanted to ask is kind of what is some of this on chain data that you're seeing that is valuable. Um, and kind of things that Gitcoin wants to use more of. 
I completely agree. I think pops have been for uh, you know out for so long. They've they've pervaded the entire uh, ecosystem. You know, they're 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 used by different uh, projects just because of how simple they are to use. They're also used by non crypto uh, projects, which I think is kind of fun, right? Because you can get them via your email too. Um, so, a- any other data? I mean, I'm going to also preface this that we at Mosaic are using EAS uh, because I think that some passport stamps are being issued there too. So, but are you seeing kind of some other interesting developments with on-chain data that you think, oh, that'd be really fun to, to use, or we've, we're already considering adding to Gitcoin to region data? Um, well, I'd love to dive down the EAS rabbit hole in a second, but I guess the, the one other thing I'll mention, any person who works in Web3 data has run into this issue of the data is not very human readable, right? Those addresses, you need to know what they mean, who, who, who uses them. So one other really good data source that we've been using is called Arkham Intelligence. Um, and what they do is basically provide a data labeling as a service. So they've mapped a ton of entities to um, addresses um, using public information. So for example, uh, in order to verify my governance forum profile, I had to tweet, I am Umar Khan and I control this address with my wallet. So Arkham's did some of the hard work of saying, all right, if you've tweeted your address, we can link that Twitter to that address. And now we know who, who that wallet belongs to. And so, you know, we also use that Arkham data um, as another source for us to label data and know who it belongs to. Um, and that's really valuable for us, especially in some of the civil resistance work we do, because as we try and build this social graph and separate bots from humans, of course, it's incredibly valuable for us to know who the humans are and who the bots are. And that's really important for us in part because of quadratic funding and it being really necessary for us. You know, if we're providing more funding to projects that get support for more people, we need to know who the real people are. But then also one of the fun things we've seen is if we build this technology um, of Gitcoin Passport in a civil resistance way, not only is it useful for quadratic funding, but it's useful for people doing universal basic income, one person, one vote, um, airdrops. A lot of airdrops today you know, are, are gamed by people writing scripts or um, doing uh, just like airdrop farming and airdrop hunting. And there are some... Uh, communities that really want to reward only good, positive actors for the authentic amount of activity that they've done. Um, and there are some that just want to reward how much on-chain activity you have. So, you know, everyone picks their picks their flavor. But um, uh, that's one of the things Gitcoin Passport tries to do. And it's also one of the spiciest, in my opinion, data problems in the space of just like actually telling civils from humans. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so so a lot of the data we built in region data is also tailored to make it really easy for people to become civil hunters um, and contribute to that um, uh, civil defense. That's good. Now you said you wanted to dive into EAS too, so let let's dive into it. Like, what are your thoughts on it? You know, what are some of the experiments that you're seeing? I mean, including whatever whatever Gitcoin's doing that is uh, fun and interesting. Yeah. So I think you mentioned. Um, yeah, so you know, on the passport side, we use EAS for putting some stamps on chain. Stamps are these like credentials that verify how human you are, um, and some of those get posted on chain that Mosaic uses. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and we, I, I minted my stamp on chain uh, with a pretty high score. I think it was twenty five. You can go and look at that. The provenance is on chain. Nice, <laughs> and that's so cool. I think about EAS. It's like it's so general that you can put almost anything on chain. I think one of the really exciting areas for this is um, impact and putting attestations of impact on chain. But also I'd I'd love to learn more about how Mosaic's using EAS and just like Humpty, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think that there's a lot more that can be done. Um, I'll start with that because I think one of the things that I initially thought how Passport was using stamps data was that everything was being provisioned on-chain. And I was like, yeah, awesome. That's going to be super easy to like work with because, you know, on-chain data is tends to just be a little bit easier to work with than with like off-chain data. Um, but what I learned is that there needed to be a user action uh, to 
basically attest to your passport on chain. So that means that there's not a lot of, you know, data out there to work with. But how we started using EAS was, uh, interestingly enough, at Permissionless at the hackathon, uh, where Gitcoin had put on a bounty for using on-chain data and coming up with an interesting or novel solution. And we found that Passport had stamps on-chain using EAS. And so we used that to provision rewards to users, <clears throat> excuse me, based on the uh, scoring value uh, that they had achieved with their with their Passport. And so we did that through tiered uh, rewards. And each reward uh, was developed to incentivize the next uh, level of resistance, if you will, uh, in scoring. And so what we discovered then and continue to discover now, it tends to run like around 15, 20, and 25. Uh, anybody with 25 and above is like, you know, you're, you're just a master at this, like you're doing something right. Uh, 20, I think, is kind of where people average only because that for the longest time was the way to unlock the most um, kind of uh, uh, rewards from the pool, Gitcoin grants pool. Uh, and then 15, there's there's a resistance there too, you know? So people seem to get stuck around there. And so the way that we saw it is like, hey, you got 15, great job. Let's celebrate the fact that you went and actually did this. Um, but there's another incentive you can earn uh, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, but but you need to be able to do something. You need to do an action. And again, this goes back to, that challenge that Kevin Iwaki put out where he was saying, you know, reward people for creating value. So bringing in some of that degen mentality, but, you know, with region um, kind of rewards the saying, degen hey, you're creating pipeline. value in this ecosystem. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying the degen to region pipeline. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Airdrops, right? Like, you know, there's a there, there's a very strong degen uh, culture there, but, you know, you can definitely leverage that um, using region values. And that is, if you're creating value uh, to an ecosystem using a product, you should be rewarded and yeah. come get your airdrop. Um, and it should be retroactive because I think when they are retroactive, they're a little bit more difficult to gamify. Yes. Yeah. You have to have that evidence of, of positive work in order to get it. Um, right. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really cool about this and what you're doing, similar to Joke Race, is gamifying it. It's just making it so that like there is that incentive, that motivation in a in a manner that I think most people coming up today are used to because, you know, we've we've all played video games now. And like it's a it's a system that works uh, and it's a system that's motivating. It's like I have a very clear, tangible, actionable goal. Otherwise, in Web3, it can often be like, you know, it's it's a chaotic world and I don't know where to get started. Um, and so like it's it's cool to to just like give them that tangible action-oriented thing that also comes with a reward um, and uh, play on dopamine. A hundred percent. Look, we got to make it fun. Anyways, we're reaching really here at the top of the hour and we've actually reached it now. And I know you got to go. So I want to give you a chance to let us know what we missed. And if we covered everything, then where can people find you? What should people go? What's the first thing people should do after they're done listening to this pod? Uh, well, first, uh, just thank you so much, Humpty, for having me, for creating this space for Crypto Sapiens, and for everything you do generally to just like have good conversations with people. You're really like a master of this. And I think you're also just like one of the great community builders in Web3. Um, and uh, for me, I'm at Umar Khan ETH on Twitter. Um, and, you know, visit, if you're not familiar with Gitcoin, visit us uh, uh, at gitcoin.co. Um, check out regiondata.xyz. And if you liked the idea of that working group that's meeting once a month, um, then check out regionlearnings.xyz. And I think that's it for me. Well, Umar, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Honestly, this has uh, been eye-opening, but also incredibly fun. Uh, you. Appreciate your time and we'll see each other on Farcaster. Thanks. Cheers. See ya. Bye.